We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Dayas. At Nick Dayas 10 is where you can find me, veteransminimum.com, as you can find all things VM. My guy is in the building, Joe Fan, Seattle's very own. What's good, bro? What's up, dude? It's great to be back, man. I appreciate you having me back in studio. Whenever I can get you on, I'll get you on, man. I'm excited to have you. Uh, really fun weekend that just went down. It was like Equinox weekend, apparently. Did you have you seen this thing going on on social media? No, what's that? So uh, I think it was Thursday, and then Saturday and Sunday was the first time that they had all f- like every possible sport was playing. Yeah. So it was there was fighting, there was hockey, basketball, baseball, football, soccer. And they were calling it Equinox. I like that. It's been a great time to be a sports fan of late. It's been a ton of fun. So, yeah, I mean, now the, the calendar is about to turn in November. Got the World Series coming up. Just had a big UFC card. The NBA is getting going. Hockey's getting going. The NFL is in the middle part of the season. College football is nearing the end of its season. Almost uh, conference championship time. So, yeah, it's hard to ask for any more right now. I think they're like three big pinnacles probably of of sports uh, in terms of, you know, timing and, and the sports calendar. Probably two, maybe right now. And then March Madness when that gets going. But uh, yeah, man, it's gonna be fun. It's been fun. Yeah, dude. And and to add to that, wait four weeks from now when the World Cup starts. You know, that's crazy. I, I've, so, I've sort of forgotten about that. So many people have because international soccer tournaments every two years, it usually happens in the summer. So it's a summer thing. And now that it's happening in the middle of all the shit that you just listed too, it's going to be chaos, man. It's going to be a lot going down. Yeah, I think what's what's hard is that the U.S. didn't make the, the World Cup last go around. Mm. And then they've been in pretty poor form in all the friendlies they've been playing. Awful. So it just doesn't feel like there's any sort of juice where like four years ago it felt like, oh, Pulisic is coming. Yeah, This team is the Young Bucks, whatever. And now again, sort of this... This narrative is, well, the coach sucks. Burhalter is terrible. 
you know, this is just the kids they're grooming for the next one. It's like, well, I thought we, I thought we were just doing that. Yeah. So yeah, I just, there really isn't any nationwide juice about this. Even soccer folks, like the, the people I look to, to get me hyped up, like about, about yeah. the national team are like, meh. Like, all right, well, the thing that's that, lame. Yeah. The thing that's whack about it is what you're looking at now is you're trying to see what teams have their players playing at their best. Like being informed going into these major tournaments. That's always like the thing that you look at. And right now, the American guys are not playing that well. Some aren't even playing because they're in and out of lineups because of injury. They come back. They play three games well. I just don't think they can be able to score hurt. a goal. Yeah, it's been rough, man. It's been rough. These international friendlies have not gone their way. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. I definitely want to touch on the UFC. UFC 280 fallout. Uh, a card in which... A lot of people, including myself, have been hyping up for a long time. And Joe, I gotta, I gotta stop doing that, man. I gotta stop doing that. I, I hype it up, and then it just doesn't, it doesn't deliver. And I'm usually someone that I live my life under promise over deliver. Every event I go to, for the most part, I think it's gonna be whack. And then if it just exceeds it a little bit, I'm like, oh, this is a dope night. You know, if you invite me to go out to some bar, I'm I'm not going to be like, oh, shit, Joe's invited me to this place. It's going to be the greatest party ever. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm, I might want to go home in 30 minutes. Yeah. And if I end up staying for two, three hours, I'm like, you know, that was a dope-ass night. And yet you get you get bit by what things look on paper in terms of the card. You yeah. A couple times on my old show, you, you'd be like, hey, this is one of my favorite cards in a long time. And some of them really delivered. Um, this one, maybe not as much, even though the star power was there. And that's the thing. Like, on paper, the matchups are great. Some of the fights were really dope, but then you had some wacky decisions. You had some wacky outcomes, and then that's ultimately what kind of sours it a little Should bit. Should we start with the O'Malley decision then? You know, the bantamweight class, he beats Peter Yan, split decision. People real upset about it, especially if you had a Peter Yan ticket. Um, you know, probably a parlay piece is a minus 275 favorite. Uh, what did you take away from that decision was it the right decision? And are we just destined for, for a rematch here? Dude, that's such a great, great question because I, I was someone that had Jan in a parlay. I still think, despite him being on a two-fight losing streak, he's the best 135er in the world. Like, I still do. And I personally thought that no way it was going to go to O'Malley, especially when you factor in, Joe, because we've had a lot of fuckery in the past where you get the hometown advantage. You see it happen when they fight in Abu Dhabi and it's a pro-Russian audience and fan base that's in the attendance. You've seen it happen with questionable decision-making in Brazil when a Brazilian fighter is fighting. I remember there was one year recently, right before COVID, there was a Brazil card. Nine up, nine wins. Nine Brazilians were fighting, nine <laughs> wins. And yes, yeah, some of them, they won by finish, some won by knockout. But for the most part, there were some decisions that you never want to leave it there. So... The biggest shock to me, Joe, was the fact that O'Malley got a decision in Abu Dhabi, which was a pro uh, Peter Yan card. And the wildest thing, though, and I had tweeted this right when the fight ended because I was certain that Yan won that fight. I'm like, you know what, man? Whether you like him or don't like him, O'Malley could hang. O'Malley just went 15 minutes with who I think is the GOAT. Not the GOAT, but he's the best at that class right now. It was the massive step up also for O'Malley against Jan. And to me, it was like, oh, you know what? 
O'Malley, O'Malley won a lot of people over. And then when I hear the announcement, I'm like, dude. It was a, I thought it was questionable. Yeah, that's always leaves a bad taste in your mouth, especially if it was a fight that you felt really strongly about one way or another. Certainly, if it takes money out of your pocket, it stings a little bit extra. Um, the co-main, you had the bantamweight title bout, Sterling and Dillashaw. It always, you mentioned like a fight that, or a, you know, a result that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Certainly a judge's decision that you don't agree with is one way to do it. But a second one would be um, when someone gets hurt right out of the gate. Yep. And that's what happened here with Dillashaw messing up his shoulder. Lucky to get out of the first round. And it was written on the wall at that point, which, you know, maybe it goes that way anyways. He is the underdog at plus 150, where Sterling was minus 175. Uh, but still just a bummer when you wait so long for these cards and then it gets there and then 30 seconds in, dude's basically out of the fight. Yeah, Sterling shoots a takedown and Dillashaw on the sprawl attempt and trying to brace himself from hitting the ground. You could see it. Like, it was gross, dude. Like, you saw the bone just sticking out, shooting out. And, mm. yeah, he was just, he was handicapped the rest of the fight. I was shocked that they let it go after. Like, the, it went into the corner and then they put him out there again. And, dude, MMA fighters at any level, I, there's not an athlete, Joe, I respect more than MMA fighters. Who's next up for Sterling, you think? So that's that's the big talking point now. Because do you do Sterling versus O'Malley? O'Malley just beat the number one guy. Whether controversial or not, that's a win for him. Do you? But then you got Cheeto Vera, who he has a win over O'Malley. And he's on a winning streak right now. And he's a tough SOB. Like, he might be the hardest fight for anyone at 135. So, and he has the win over O'Malley. So, I don't know what they do. I think the UFC is in a weird spot because they need a guy like Connor. They need that aura and that charisma. And that's what O'Malley has. Like You're going to tune into O'Malley fights. Either because you want to see him get his ass whooped or because you're a fan of his and his style. And he is very flashy. And he had some moments against Jan where you were saying to yourself, you know what, this dude can hang. He's uh, not just the, the Twitch streamer. The cool dude that hangs out with the Nelk boys and does all these podcasts and whatnot. Like, this guy is, he's someone that could really throw down. It's been a tough go for Oliveira. Uh, he doesn't make weight. Yeah. AKs the belt. Then he loses at his own game to Islam. Uh, where, where are you at uh, with this fight to take away? And what's, what's next in the lightweight title bout? I mean, Makachev definitely answered a lot of questions, man. I was someone that was still saying he was a little overrated. Like, he got all this publicity because he was Habib's boy. Like, would he get the same attention if he wasn't? I mean, he proved me wrong. He, he dominated that fight. He ends up submitting Oliveira, mm -hmm. which is so disrespectful to me because you beat him at his own game. Like, he's the greatest submission artist in the UFC ever. He has the most submission wins. He has the most bonuses. I think he's made over $900,000 in his career off bonuses alone, which is insane. And... You beat him in his own game. And there's a part of me that felt so bad for Oliveira. Because like you said, he had to vacate it in his last fight when we were on your show talking about it by half a pound. Which, come on, man. Give him a break half a pound. Like, I get it, it's championship weight, but he weighed in at 155.5. It's not like he came in at 163 and you're like, all right, dude, you, you missed weight by seven pounds or eight pounds, whatever it was. So for half a pound to do that, 
it was uh, disheartening for Charles Oliveira, but he gets finished, and I think he'll be back. He'll be back in contention. He's not going to fall too far off the ranks. He'll probably get another marquee fight, whether it's a fight night headliner. Um, maybe he gets Connor. Who knows? Connor immediately started tweeting out, you know, the usual Connor stuff just to stay relevant. I feel like, are you are you still into Connor? I, I to me, he's just been so irrelevant for years now. I mean, really. His last fight was also so underwhelming because he broke his ankle, yeah. right? He broke his foot, broke his ankle, whatever it was. So, like, how long has it been since we've had a signature Conor McGregor moment? You know what I mean? Everything's so, been on social media. Yeah, That's been so it's not like I'm, like, like out on Conor. I'd be excited to see his name on a card. But to me, it just feels like he's been irrelevant at this point for so long that I'm not holding my breath of, like, when's he going to get back? But it is... It's a weird division now because it's just all the usual suspects, right? It's Poirier, it's Gaethje, it's Michael Chandler. Um, you know, is there an up-and-comer that can potentially shake things up a bit? Because I look at those names in the light heavyweight ranking or lightweight rankings, and to me, it just feels like all the names we've been seeing for years. Yeah, that's a that's the thing that's interesting about what happened because also there was another fight on this card, Dariush and Gamrot. Gamrot was supposed to be that guy at 155. But he loses to Dariush. Dariush is a very... He's not the kind of guy that the UFC would want to market. Because he's kind of boring. He's not, he's not a trash talker. He's super humble. He's very skilled. He's going to be a top five guy. He's probably going to be like the number three or four guy in the division now. Because he just had a monster win. And he was already at number six, I believe. But UFC needs you to be like Covington and Connor and, and these trash talkers. Because they want to sell pay-per-views. So... There isn't a guy at 155 right now that I think is up and coming. I would have said Gamera. It's not like he's going to fall too far down the ranks, but this would have been a momentum builder for him to continue on. Um, I feel like this is a good little segue, though, from, from UFC to the NFL in Week 7. And talking about people that might be falling off, dude, I was on the pod last week with my buddy Allen. Shouts to Allen. And we were talking about, Joe, every season since I would say maybe – 2017, we've had, I call the fall off a cliff guy. It's these iconic quarterbacks, these franchise guys that have been with the same team for a decade or so. They've made Pro Bowls. They've won Super Bowls. They've been Hall of Famers. And then from one season to the other, it's, it's almost sad how they're going out. And Eli Manning has been in that. Phillip Rivers has been in that. Big Ben was that last year. And now this year... Dude, is it going to be Brady and Rodgers? The two guys that, in my opinion, one is the most accomplished quarterback of all time. Obviously, Brady with all the Super Bowls and his accomplishments. But then I think Rodgers might have been the most talented quarterback that I've seen. Yeah, I think Rodgers' flick of the wrist, I mean, he, he dazzles to me in a way that, that I think I, I don't remember seeing with many other quarterbacks. At least in, in my lifetime, my adult lifetime of really following the NFL, um, there's a lot of them. You can go with Matt Ryan, who just got benched on Monday, uh, in favor of Sam Ellinger uh, out of Texas. Not just with the shoulder injury, but for the season. Frank Reich says they're going with Sam Ellinger. Russell Wilson looks like a shell of himself. Looks to be uh, depreciating rapidly as a talent in this league, which is Brutal when you consider what the Broncos gave up, both in the trade package and in the contract they gave him 
before he even stepped on the field. But yeah, there's no doubt that the Bucks and the Packers are in a bad way. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are healthy. The Bucks couldn't score a touchdown against the Carolina Panthers. What? Like, <laughs> I, it's it's hard to fathom how bad it is. It's not just like oh, the Bucks are struggling and Brady isn't at his best. It's it's bottom third of the league offense type bad. Yeah, which should not be happening. And the defense has really fallen off as well, where they allowed the Carolina Panthers, led by PJ Walker to put up almost seven yards of play on Sunday. So it's all bad in Tampa. It's all bad in Green Bay. We talked about both those teams as two of the defenses that should have been the best in football. Green Bay's been torched three straight weeks. Aaron Rodgers has zero chemistry with his receivers outside of Alan Lazard. So it's check down this, check down that. Aaron Jones had 10 catches or 10, 10 targets, nine receptions for 53 yards. That's it. This check down city. The running game can't get going because they're daring somebody to beat them deep. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers keeps throwing these deep shots that that aren't even close to connecting. Dude, yes. It's he's, bad. He's missing guys by like yards. Yeah. It's not even close how he's missing them. Guys are running posts. He's throwing fades. Guys are running fades. He's throwing posts. It's just all over the place. And the thing that sucks about Rodgers is he's basically turned into like Alex Smith. He's a check down machine now. And in the past, it was that, that excuse that was going around that people were saying anytime Mike McCarthy would call a play he didn't like, he'd just check it down and throw it into the stands out of spite. But now it's becoming so obvious that it's just check down to Jones, check down to the tight end, check down to A.J. Dillon. And that's really their entire offense. Now. Yeah, I think they certainly miss. I mean, this goes without saying, they miss Devontae Adams. I mean, going from Devontae Adams to Alan Lazard as your number one is, is a tough place to be. I genuinely think the Packers are in a better scenario than the Bucks. The Bucks feel more broken to me. Ooh, what? I don't agree. Okay. What I would say is I the Packers need somebody who can get open. And that's not to, to take blame off of Rodgers, who I don't think has been good. But to me, Brady has been far worse. Um, but the, the saving grace for both teams is the NFC is horrific. Five of the 16 teams are over 500. Just five. One of that includes a fraudulent Vikings team at five and one. One of them includes a Giants team at six and one, who I don't think scares anybody. They're three-point dogs on the road against the Seahawks in week eight. The Eagles and Cowboys, to me, are the, the head and shoulders, two best teams in, in the conference. And I, I don't think either, or I'd say probably Philly, maybe if, if Dallas and Dak Prescott gets going, you worry more about them. But for the most part, it is mediocre to poor football being played in the NFC. Yeah, no question, for sure. That was something that we were talking about coming into the year, though. Like, one of the reasons why I was just a little optimistic about the Giants, not 6-1 and one through seven games, was because the NFC was going to be so weak. So maybe they could sneak in with eight wins, right? There was a roadmap for a lot of teams in the NFC to get into the playoffs with eight wins. And going back to what you were saying, I feel like I trust the pack, uh, the, excuse me, the Bucks more because that division is not good. Despite what has happened. And yeah, the Falcons have been a little interesting because yeah, you know, that division. They, yeah, who's gonna win that division? That that to me, there's no alpha team in that division. I would still say it's the Bucks. But dude, Minnesota's getting the job done, man. And they have a lot of talent on offense. And I think the one thing that kind of like doesn't have us excited about them is the quarterback. It's Kirk Cousins. 
And I always have that thing that I point in my head where I'm like, all right, if I have my eyes closed and I'm looking at the wild card game, I'm looking at the divisional game, and I have two quarterbacks, and one of them is Kirk Cousins, and the other one is Jalen Hurts on the road, or it's even Aaron Rodgers, despite the struggles, I can't get that out of my head. I'm like, damn, I'm really going to bet on Kirk Cousins in this spot? I don't know if I want to do that. So that's what I think holds back Minnesota. It has to be the quarterback because they're loaded at the skill position players. Their defense is making a lot of plays, and they got Daniel Hunter back, a guy who was, you know, he had the COVID stuff, then he had that serious injury. And then they've, they've done pretty well in the draft also. And I think, I think Minnesota is – you definitely respect Minnesota a little bit more. Come on, man. Do we, you? We were high on them coming into the year, too. I was. I was. But every time I watch them, I just think – It's not pretty. This team's not very good. But I guess that's what I say about everybody, apart from, what, five teams in the NFL. You know, I'm more impressed by what I see from the Seahawks on a week-to-week basis, the Falcons on a week-to-week basis, than what I see from the Vikings. They were super lucky to get the Dolphins – playing a third-string quarterback. So I guess it ended up being Teddy Bridgewater, but it wasn't Tua. They let the Bears hang around and have a chance to win that game. They're down late in that game. They win 29-22. Should have lost to the Saints in London. Got a couple very mm-hmm. generous pass interference oh, yeah. penalties to help them there. They, the Lions hung around and, and should have beaten them. They're really, week one against the Packers is when they were at their best and, and they looked most impressive. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals beat them this week. And that's going to be a painfully ugly game of two teams that are just sort of a mess. I, I think it's, I don't know. Do you just feel like maybe I'm being too hard on teams? I just feel like every game I watch, I'm like, this isn't a. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good football game. There's been a lot of that. There's a lot of that. There's been a lot of games where we're so in love with football, whether it's the TV product is amazing. Like I always say, I don't want to go to games on Sundays. Give me a primetime game. And I know it might sound a little bougie and like high maintenance. Like, oh, you want to be in primetime? It's like, no, the TV product is so good, dude. I have both my laptops are playing games. I have Red Zone on the TV. And it's just such a good product on TV. And I think the one big issue with all that is that the games haven't been that good. Scoring is down across the league. Unders are cashing at a high rate. and well, it's almost 60% yeah. through seven weeks. And I think the biggest issue is that with players aren't practicing as much as they used to in the past and guys sitting in preseason. I know that we're like two months into the season now, but that's a reason why there's all these slow starts coming into the league. 
And to me, football, football could be unwatchable, dude. When you have two bad quarterbacks playing, there's a reason why all these teams, Joe, and all these rules are in favor of you not hitting your quarterback. Because if you don't have, if you don't have Jalen Hurts out there playing the Chargers with Justin Herbert, what are you gonna watch? It's, it's unwatchable when you have no quarterbacks. Who's the fifth best team in football? The fifth best team. So, so what are the what are the top four? So it's the Eagles, the Bills, the Chiefs, and I would put Minnesota. Okay, I'd put the Cowboys. So you you'd put, put Minnesota Cowboys. five. Okay, well, that's fair. I'd, I'd say Dallas is right after them. So Dallas would be fifth. In in my case, I would put Dallas fifth. Then the Giants sixth. No, no, dude. Listen, the Giants are six and one. Don't know how that's happening. <laughs> um, that's what I'm doing every time they win games. I'm laughing. Like all my captions on social media are like six and one, laughing my ass off. I they have practice squad wide receivers making plays, or in yesterday's case, Marcus Johnson just drops a fourth fourth and two, you know, so they don't convert that because he's throwing the practice squad wide receivers. Yo, hot take: How is Saquon Barkley not the MVP right now? In what it means, right? The most valuable player to their team this season. How is it not Saquon Barkley? Yeah, I think he's in the conversation. I just don't think it's possible for a running back to win. But he's doing everything possible to, to do that. I think the conversation is, is more so Brian Dable is the coach of the year. And, and what, is it, what does it mean to have competent coaching there where after Tom Coughlin, you go through Ben McAdoo, uh, Pat Shermer, and Joe Judge. Yeah, it was so bad. And so now you have a guy who brings a level of toughness and competency and creativity to what he's trying to do. Um, the ability to mask Daniel Jones's flaws, which we know are vast and varying. Oh, yeah. And then maximize Saquon Barkley when he's healthy. Uh, to me, yeah, those two guys have just been so instrumental in what they're doing. The fact that they're 6-1 is remarkable, and, and they deserve all the credit they're getting, even though... You know, I don't think many people are buying it, which is why, again, they're underdogs in week eight against the Seahawks. Um, you know, it's it's a fascinating story to unfold because he is the coach of the year candidate and Saquon, certainly the comeback player of the year. Yeah, that's, um, that's fair. But I just, I just don't in my heart of hearts believe that offensive player of the year, great. I don't think you can say he's the MVP over Josh yeah, Allen he's or not, Patrick. Yeah, Williams. yeah, he's not going to win it. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I think, like, I think Saquon Barkley, if the Giants continue to win, he should be in that conversation the way Cooper Cup was last year. Invite him to and like invite him to the Sarah, like the yeah, Heisman ceremony. Yeah, like play, He's in like top four, invite yeah, him to New play York. The promo package when yeah. you're introducing who the finalists are. Like okay. Saquon should be there, at least. That's fair. I, you're not wrong. I mean, he is going to be all over NFL honors in one way or another if he keeps this up. I mean, he is first team all pro. And everyone accolade you want to bring with it. I, I don't think there's any you know, illusion otherwise. I think he's gotten his props, and I think everyone's so pumped to see him healthy and performing to what we saw flashes of in the NFL, but certainly at the collegiate level. Um, injuries are tough, man, and it's yeah. great to see this guy healthy because he has been absolutely remarkable. I mean, dude, even yesterday, right? He has 38 yards going into the fourth quarter, and then he gets 72 yards on 10 carries in the fourth quarter, and that's... That's a closer right there, right? You yeah. call him up in the ninth inning to shut shit down. And that's what Barkley was doing. Yeah. And to me, with Daniel Jones is he's, we know he's limited. Like, that's not duh, right? Like, we all know that. I think what Brian Dable is doing is he is capitalizing on what he does well. 
he's what the best running quarterback right now in the league like 11 efficient. for 107 the touchdown yeah they're running a high school football college football offense where it's like read options take it and run we don't want to jeopardize our quarterback but it's the one thing that he's great like that's the one thing that he's an a plus at and i've been saying it for years his best attribute is his feet and everyone always thinks of that video on thursday night football against the eagles where he's stumbling on that long run it's like oh this guy's just because he was moving too fast right, that's why right, yeah so to me, the Giants are just doing what, they, what, what they're doing with what they have. And it's getting the job done. Is it sustainable? No. I think what Seattle is doing is really fun and interesting, man. And it's, would you have guessed that our two teams would be in the conversation? And then let's show love to the other New York team too, man. They're 5-2, and two, the Jets. They, I mean, they got beat up by injuries today, Monday morning. But which of, the, which of the three teams, let me ask you this. Which of the three teams surprises you the most? seven we got the seahawks we got the giants and the jets uh i would say the jets um and i think that's probably the least sustainable you know i think the jets and, and giants play sim a similar brand of football where they're they're competent defensively they're going to make you work for it uh they'll get some takeaways um and then if they offensively can limit turnovers and not give you points or short fields um, and take advantage of, okay, at least get three here. Don't turn it over because you're in the red zone. Uh, and, and convert a couple of times when you get inside the 20. Um, they can beat you ugly, and that's sort of how they do it. Uh, just albeit the, the Giants score a bit more. Um, but they're led by running backs, Brees Hall and Saquon Barkley. Well, the Jets just lost um, Brees Hall for the season. Born with the ACL, ACL tear, man. which is just brutal. Ugh. The Seahawks are a completely opposite brand. Where somehow they've been this offensive juggernaut that can't be stopped, but until the last two weeks they couldn't stop anybody. They were on historically bad paces through five games against the run, against the pass. It was all bad. Well, the last two weeks they figured something out to where against the Cardinals they were lights out, didn't allow a touchdown, and then they allowed just twenty three points against the Chargers. That includes a garbage time touchdown uh, in the final couple of minutes. There they put up thirty seven points against the Chargers. Geno Smith, you want to talk about dark horse MVP candidates, he's been the second best quarterback in the NFC. I don't think it's close. I don't know who else you'd even put up there alongside yeah. him and Jalen Hurts. He's been that good. Kenneth Walker is that dude, 23 for a buck 68 and two. He's had at least 88 rushing yards and a touchdown in his last three games. You have DK, you have Tyler Lockett. They've got a bunch of tight ends they've been throwing to, but it all comes back to Geno, and he has been so much more than the, the game manager, which I think we all thought his ceiling would be. I mean, this dude's making some big-time throws. The ever-evolving deep ball. You've got the tight window throws that he's, he's been fearless with. Um, yeah, I think it's fascinating that we get to see the Giants and Seahawks play this weekend because it is sort of a, a different style that they play, but uh, their success is a, is a surprise all the same. Yeah, I think the Jets, and I don't want to come off as a hater, but I think the Jets are the team that it's the least sustainable of the bunch. First time since 2011 that a team wins back-to-back -back games with less than 105 passing yards. You can't do that, bro. No. You can't have that, right? And they lose Brees Hall, which sucks because I got a stat for you right here, Joe. When Hall was on the field, the Jets averaged 5.6 yards per rush. Best in the NFL. With him off the field, 3.6 yards per rush, 29th. Yeah, it was like... Uh, but even the eye test, right? Like, yeah. stuff like that, if you were to read me that, and we were at a bar, 
and I was hammered, I'd be like, yeah, bro, like just watching the game, you could just tell. Yeah. Like this validates it because I'm a big eye test guy. I don't know about you. Like a lot of times, like, yeah, I can't properly tell you the the right guard on the Seahawks, what his grade would be. But I can be like, yo, Joe, I never see pressure up the middle on Seattle. And then you'd be like, dude, we got this right guard. Yeah. Like, so to me, eye test is everything. And it was just noticeable that this dude was the better back of the bunch. Yeah, I think w with the Giants and the Jets, it goes to show you how far you can make it if you don't turn the ball over. Yeah. You know, like when, when it all is said and done is as complex as football is, and it is the, the schemes and the, the verbiage and all of that is so far beyond my comprehension. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so dense. And if you didn't play, it's really hard to learn to that degree. But there are, there are, it all boils down. If you don't turn the ball over, that's you really burn it. Burn the red man. zone a little bit. Yeah. Burn on third down a little bit. But you look at what the Jets, you wouldn't think it's sustainable, but there are teams that there are enough bad teams in the NFL that as long as you don't screw up, you're the your opponent's bound to. You know, you look at what's to come. I guess that's probably the best way to look at it because it's easy to say it's unsustainable. Yeah, they probably lose the next two against the Patriots and Bills because the Patriots are going to turn you over probably with Bill Belichick and Zach Wilson. And the Bills are going to boat race you because of the Bills. You get the Patriots again, but then you go Bears. Uh, you get Kirk Cousins on a bad day. Um, what time is that game? You happen to know what time that game is? Because that could be that could be the the deciding factor right there. Because you know, like Kirk Cousins, apparently he's like sixty eight percent against the spread when he plays at one o'clock Eastern. Time. He's in the one Eastern window. Oh, uh, okay, so it might be quiet for the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. I, I again, you know, Robert Sala. They're they're playing hard for their coach. Both yeah. teams, and they, and they've been better than they had been in years past when it comes to turnovers. And I think that's probably what they're preaching to their quarterbacks. It's like, hey, you don't have to be Peyton Manning. Just, like, take what's there and don't make the big mistake. Yeah. It'll be all right. Yeah, man. And it's so unfortunate about the Jets because not only do they lose Brees Hall to the ACL, Vera Tucker, yeah. a dude who I remember him coming out of college, and I was like, yo, this guy, there's no way this guy cannot be a stud. Like, he played all the positions in college, very versatile. And he was the most pro-ready guy. But again, you don't want to take a guy in the top five, top ten that's a guard. It's not a luxury position, really. But they lose him also. So you probably lost your two best offensive players this year. Yeah, and I remember him coming out of USC, too. And dude was a star. Dude so was a dog. It, it, yeah. it is tough. You know, I mean, every team deals with it. I mean, when you're trying to enjoy your, your best start and gosh, however long. I, I'm just filling out my power rankings for the week. I got him 10th. Yeah. It's like, when's the last time the Jets were in the top 10 of any power rankings at any oh, point yeah. in the season? For sure. A decade? I don't know. Forever? Yeah, easily, man. And then talking about injuries, like, fuck, do we, do we just burn these Charger tickets that we have? Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's already burnt. Dude. I mean. <laughs> that, thing was, that thing was toilet paper at, weeks ago. Every week. Every week. It's like, and it's not just a backup. It's not just, ah, yeah, it's, the third, it's Josh Palmer. It's the third string wide. It's, it's like, no, nah, it's. Now it's Mike Williams. Then it was it was uh, Slater earlier in the year. You lost Keenan Allen for a bit. He comes back. Now Mike Williams hurt. Now J.C. Jackson, who you spent all this money on. Who was playing terribly to begin with. He was, yeah, absolutely. Tip of the cap to Bill Belichick, man. If Belichick just lets you go with no, no like, rebuttal, no matching your offer. If he's like, yo, Joe, how much you want? 70 million? All good, man. 
Thank you for your time. And yeah. that's a that's a red flag. You know how like people talk about red flags and green flags on social media? Yeah. If you're a defensive player with the Patriots and Bill Belichick has gonna no you, gonna let you walk, no desire to bring you back, it's like, oh I just maybe, the Chargers are soft too. Uh, it's a soft organization. They've got no fans in that building, no fans in that city, no sense of a home field advantage. I mean, I, I think the Seahawks have been impressive, but they got boat raced yesterday. It's the second time they've been boat raced at home. And by, and you know, as huge favorites, as huge favorites, and, Jacksonville a couple weeks prior. Yeah, man. And again, like, look, no disrespect to Seattle, but you're kind of getting boat raced by two teams that shouldn't be on your level, especially if you're factoring in how we felt about them coming into the year and how we felt about the two teams that did boat race them. And well, yeah, things, seventeen points in the first quarter. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was driving yesterday, and I was going somewhere to watch the games. And once I get there, person didn't have red zone, so I was immediately like, I was like, oh, man. I can't remember the last time I watched football and it wasn't on red zone. Like, at least having red zone there present. But I look at my phone, and it was 17 zero. I was like, nah, there's no way. This has to be like a typo of some kind. There's no way that this is the case. And I just I just couldn't believe it. But the charges is, yeah, there's no home field. The... Justin Herbert is like 29th in the league in yards per attempt. It's like this dude has, he's Patrick Mahomes or close to it. And we're treating him like he's 2019 Eli Manning. It's like, no, we can't have that. Let this guy like be great. Yeah. I, I don't It's get amazing it, how quickly the shine has worn off the star of, uh, of Brandon Staley. So we talked about that last time. Yeah. We'll probably continue talking about it because... It's been bad there, man. Yeah, dude. I want to I wanna end with this because I didn't get a chance to talk about it at the time when it happened, but Christian McCaffrey goes to the Niners. Initial thoughts. What did you think of that? I just can't believe how much they continue to invest in running backs, man. They draft a running back in day two every single year. Usually ends up not playing. Trey Sermon's already off the team. Um, and then how much production they've gotten out of either a late-round pick like an Elijah Mitchell or undrafted guys like Matt Breida, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, guys who – not just were productive, but were stars. Yeah, Elijah Mitchell. I know he's um, hurt now, but yeah, six round pick. I think yeah. for Elijah Mitchell. So yeah, Christian McCaffrey is a great player, but like as you saw against the Chiefs, um, they got a lot of problems over there. And if that defense isn't dominant, that that offense ain't, ain't keeping up in a, in a shootout. So um, you know, when you limit the Debo Samuel explosives, you make Jimmy Garoppolo march the field. They have a really hard time. And you know, I, I was surprised how little. McCaffrey played in that game, especially given their struggles and how much how much they were down. But uh, yeah, great player. Excited to see how Kyle Shanahan uses them. But the Niners got problems, and again, they're a team that's very lucky how bad the NFC is. I do think they'll turn it around, though. If you remember, it was around this time last year too, where they were a three and five. I think it might have been, and then they picked up like seven wins in a row. That's also when I was just like shitting on Kyle Shanahan. I was like, oh, is he even that good of a coach? He has like a five hundred record. Really, is he that good? And then he went on that tear. So. I'm sure he'll probably do that again. They're going to get some guys back, too. None of the injuries are season-long injuries. It's like even Elijah Mitchell should be coming back soon. And I think having him out there with a Christian McCaffrey and Debo and Ayuk, like, could be a pretty intimidating offense if you have to deal with all those guys. You think, but can Jimmy G deliver it? Yeah. I mean, that's where it comes down to. George Kittle has been largely invisible for two seasons. Yeah, and I felt like they lost that game. And I tweeted this out. The Niners lost that game before the half. When he threw the pick, even though Kansas City drove the field and they didn't score, like it's not like it was a ten point swing, but 
it's the fact that you throw that interception there in the red zone. For me, it was just, that was the issue. And after Mahomes throws that interception, the next seven drives, six of them, they leave with points. Yeah, I mean, there was one point for a second or third or fourth quarter. They had third and 11 deep in their own territory. Three plays later, the Chiefs were in the end zone. Yeah, the deep bomb to MBS. Brutal. Yeah, man. It's, uh, do you think, last thing I'll ask you, do you think we're just wasting time and we should just fast forward to February? Buffalo, Philly. Because them two have been the two most flawless teams of the year. Uh, yes. Yeah, I do. I think, like I mentioned, I think there are four really good teams. I can't tell you a fifth that I confidently feel like is a good team. Like when I talk about the Seahawks, are they the third best team in the NFC? Probably not, but you can't tell me unequivocally that they're not, mm. given how bad the Bucks, uh, the the Packers, the Giants, or the, the sorry, the the Rams, the Niners, all that. So yeah, let's let's get the the Eagles in there, and then an or AFC Championship game between the um, between the uh, Chiefs and Bills. Yeah, yeah, and that that game might be in Buffalo, where it's going to be an issue for Kansas City. It's cold in Buffalo in January, bro. Yes, sir. That's not a place you want to go, without a doubt. It's it's not a fun time. Joe, this was fun, man. We got to wrap up. Uh, tell the people where they can find your work or anything that you're doing. Yeah, written articles on winbet.com and then uh, on Twitter at Joe underscore fan. I'll make sure to have that in the bio. Nick Chavez, Ben Kotzian, Christopher Velasquez, Derek Plates, Devin, Jordan, Mike, Nick, and Thomas. Thank you for your contributions to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Veterans Minimum. We're at 62 patrons. If we could get to 70 by Thanksgiving, that'd be awesome. And happy to announce that the Discord server now is going to be open to everybody. If you want to join the community, you can. There are going to be two separate tabs within the Discord. One that's going to be exclusive to the Patreon members where you can get the sports betting stuff and write-ups and and sort of asking some questions that they help uh, me produce this show with Joe. So the link will be in the bio for the Discord. Check it out. And yeah, at Nick Day's Tenders, you can find me, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Veterans Minimum.